Well, we're in a new series right now that we started just a couple of weeks ago on the church. And uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, we're, we're talking about what it means to be a local body of believers, uh, knitted together in Christ, members of one another. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, that Jesus Christ, through his finished work on the cross, his resurrection, the outpouring of his spirit, he has united us in himself and all the blessings that come to us individually as Christians by, being, by virtue of being in Christ come to all of us together because we are in Christ together. And we're also members of one another, individually members of one another. So there's one body, there's a diverse group of people united and we're individually members one of another. Uh, This really helps us to understand what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. It's not like being a member of Costco, right, or Sam's Club, or or a country club, or anything like that. Uh, It's it's to be a dynamic, living, active part of a body with others. This organic union that we have in Christ, where we love and serve and give of ourselves to one another— Last week, Reed helped us to understand that, that because, we're, because we're a body, there's one body, there's one Lord, there's one baptism and so forth, we have this thing called the unity of the Spirit. And we are, it's, it's something that's given to us, and we are to seek to maintain it. We can't, we can't make it happen, but it's given to us as a gift, and we maintain the unity of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, all of this seems really timely for me. You know, in the last year, there's been a lot of talk about what is essential and what's non-essential, right? And more and more, unfortunately, people have been considering, well, is church really that essential? I mean, really connected fellowship in the body of Christ, is that essential? Is gathering together essential? And it absolutely is. How can we be this living, organic body separate. We just can't. So um, this week, I want to look at uh, what it means to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. To be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We have a, we have a covenant statement as a church, and one of the statements says this. It's this commitment as part of the body of Christ It says this, we will be devoted to one another in brotherly love. To be a part of the body of Christ is to say, I'm in, right? I'm in with that. Love is the central relational dynamic we're to be motivated by and we're to experience in our life together as Christians in the body of Christ. I heard one, or read, didn't hear, I I read one commentator say that love is like the circulatory system of the spiritual body, okay? Science, right? Circulatory system, the blood pumps through the body and brings all the nutrients in the bloodstream to the different parts of your body. That's what love is like, at least according to this commentator. I think he's right. Without it, we dry up. There's no life. There's a lack of health. You can have really gifted and even zealous people, but without love, we dry up. There's no life. Paul says here in our opening verse that our love must be genuine. It must be sincere. It must be love without hypocrisy. And it is a command. Verse 9 says, let 
Love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The New American Standard says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be the real thing. I heard somebody once, no, I didn't hear, gosh, it's in the Bible. I did hear someone say it. It was the Holy Spirit. I was reading it. And it says, many many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. And I think the point is, of course, we, we should, we should, talk about love, we should say I love you, but it's more important to be faithful in actually loving people. Let love be genuine, without hypocrisy, unfeigned. Literally, the word translated genuine means undisguised. Let love be undisguised. Don't disguise your love for one another. Don't just talk about it. Let it be genuine and sincere. Let it be without hypocrisy. Let it be undisguised. Take the mask off. And when Paul says, abhor what is evil and hold fast or cling to what is good, I think he's talking about in the context of sincere love. What is evil? Insincere love. Fake love. Phony love. And we're to abhor that. We're to abhor it when we see that in ourselves. I'm being phony right now. I'm being fake. And we're to hold fast or cling to what is good, which of course is that sincere, undisguised love. Sincere, true love. This is so important. Without love, without real love, without sincere love, we just make noise without substance. And that's at best. At worst, we're a big fat zero. We're nothing. We've heard these words before, but I think it's worth hearing again. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. An annoying noise. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith to move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is imperative, it is the imperative. It's imperative if we are going to resemble the body of Christ where Jesus is the head. Of course, he is the head of the body of Christ. Love is like the circulatory system. It's necessary. It's the circulatory system of the universal body of Christ. Wherever you find Christians anywhere in the world that have ever lived or living now or ever will live in the future, and it is the circulatory system of every healthy local body. It must be here But Paul gets specific. He doesn't just say, let love be genuine. He drills down and gives us two very specific ways that love is to be expressed and played out in the local context or in the local church. We see two commands in verse 10. Both of them are things we are to do to one another. 
This phrase, one another, is such a rich phrase. It's used over and over in the Bible. Right? It often, in the context of this reciprocal and mutual activities, in the context of a local church, we're to, we're to love one another, we're to serve one another, we're to forgive one another. Real people, one another, you and me together, right? Not just, not just you toward me, but me towards you as well. So many, and this, this goes right to what I said before, so many of these things cannot be done at a distance. And that's why often it's in the context of a letter written to a local church. Of course, we're to love believers everywhere, and we're to love every neighbor that we have. But it plays itself out in the nitty-gritty with the people we do life with in a local church. These things are meant to be lived out together, life together in the church. So what do we see? What are these two commands? The two commands are love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Let's just look at these one at a time. So love one another with brotherly affection, verse 10. The New American Standard, I like, probably like the way it says, says this better. It says be devoted be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We don't use that word devotion. Well, we use it for like our morning time with the Lord, right? We're doing our devotions. But when we talk about relationship with other people, that's kind of a word that's out of style. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The essence is that we love one another with real, felt, tender, warm affection. Affection. This is not the kind of love that is merely a choice and an act of the will, right? I mean, that's an important kind of love where you choose to love someone. You don't always feel love for them, but you choose to love someone. You're committed to them. You'll never turn your back on them. That's massively important. Every marriage must have that. This kind of love is a love that goes deeper than that. It's a love that is felt. You see it in the word affection. Brotherly or tender affection. The word translated brotherly affection in the ESV is used only here in the New Testament. There's no other place it's used. It's the kind of love where you have an attachment to something or someone. Like, a, like an attachment. You are attached to something. Think of an attachment you might have to a particular place where something special or significant happened in your life. I remember climbing to a location in Rocky Mountain National Park with Luke and some other guys. It was a place that at least at one time was significant to Luke. He climbed up there, parked at the spot, and got inspiration for some music that he wrote that became a CD. Took a picture of a tree, if I remember right. Is that right? It was a special place he was attached to. There was, some, there was some kind of affection for that place. But then this word also carries with it the idea of family. And that's why I think the translators, at least in the ESV, said brotherly affection. It's a brotherly kind of affection. It goes beyond just an object. It goes to a place where there's deep, tender, warm affection like you would for your closest relative. You guys all know what it's like, perhaps, probably many of you do, 
where even someone you haven't seen for a long time, but a, 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 a cousin that you're really close with growing up, and if there's going to be a family gathering and you know he or she's going to be there, it's like, I can't wait to see them. It's that kind of affection. Times two or ten. So it's the kind of attachment you would have in a close family. Think of the attachment a young child has with his or her mother. I think of the kind of attachment all of my kids have with Alyssa, their mom. Sabrina, she's 21, she's moved, she's down in Texas now. But almost every day, probably, she wants to talk to mom. She wants to hear her voice, and they do FaceTime so she can see her face too. But especially, it's most obvious with our son Grayson. He can be doing just fine. And mom walks in the room, and he hears her voice, he doesn't want anybody else. He wants mom. So it's this kind of affection, this kind of devotion, deep affection, tender affection. Love one another with tender affection. That's the command. It, like I said before, it goes beyond the kind of love by which we choose by an act of the will to love and do good to someone. It goes to the level of our affections, of our emotions. It's a love where we feel an attachment to someone else like our closest friend, our closest relative, our closest family member. As I said before, this is the only place in the New Testament where the specific word brotherly affection or devotion or I think the New King James says tenderly affectionate or something like that. It's the only place where this word is used in the New Testament, but we do kind of hear whispers of it, the idea of it in other places. Peter gives the following command in 1 Peter 1.22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from the heart. Or listen to how Paul speaks with such affection for the church of Philippi. He says, for God is my witness. He says, I'm not lying. God knows my heart. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. You hear this attachment, this yearning, this affection, this loving one another earnestly. As you can see, this is more than just saying, well, love is a choice and therefore I will do this or that for this person. Love is a choice, for sure, right? But the choicest love is more than just a choice. The most precious love, the, the kind of love that we're being called to here is more than just a choice. It's also run through with deep affection for the object of love. Um, Jonathan Edwards preached a a sermon uh, called Heaven is a World of Love. And he said something in there. He said that love delights in the, the prosperity of the object of love. In other words, love delights in the good of other people, the people that they love. There's a delight, there's an affection, there's, there's a deep, visceral heart response. 
I was praying with a couple brothers the other day and one of them just earnestly said, pray for me. I want to love my brothers and sisters better. And I know this guy, I know this brother. I mean, he, he, he serves. I mean, he's, he's, he's willing to do anything to help, but what he was talking about was the kind of love that Romans 12, 10 is describing. Love one another with tender affection. He said, pray for me. I want to love like that. The choicest, sweetest love has deep and warm affection. Of course, this love will move us toward need. It will look for an outlet. It will look for a vent to be expressed in actual acts of mercy, in love, and in generosity. And John goes through that quite a lot in, the, in his first letter, 1 John. I think of verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, where he um, unpacks that for us. That's necessary. That's evidence that we have actually been born of God. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It's also important to add that this kind of love, this deep, tender affection for one another, it is not squishy and weak and spineless. There are times when in love we must confront and admonish, even rebuke a friend, a brother in Christ. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. A true friend will faithfully wound you when you need it. You have even parents, right? What, Proverbs is, has just an enormous amount of material about how parents ought, if you love your children, you will discipline them. You will do things that hurt them. It's an enemy, it's not a friend who only flatters, only says nice things, only does nice things. So, love one another with brotherly or tender affection. And there's a second way this sincere, undisguised love is meant to be played out in the local church and it has to do with honor. Honor, show honor to one another. Verse 10 The second part says, outdo one another in showing honor. Undisguised love, right? This this love that's to be genuine. Undisguised love prefers to show honor rather than receive honor. It prefers to look at others and honor others, humbling ourselves underneath others rather than receive accolades and honor from others others the word honor means to a a means a value assigned in means a value assigned to a person or a thing and to show honor is to treat a person in this case and commend them based on the value 
that is assigned to them. What's the value by which we honor one another? Remember, this is for Christians, okay? This is not talking about honoring some basketball star or something like that. It's talking about in the body of Christ, what is the value by which we honor one another, right? I mean, what, is the, what, what, what value do we place on each other? Well, of course, every person has intrinsic value because we're all image bearers of God. But the phrase one another comes in and we realize that this is talking not only about image bearers of God, but those for whom Christ died. That is the measure by which we honor. This, when you think about a brother or sister in Christ, think about those in this room with you, and you think about how, why would I honor them? Because Christ obtained them with his own blood. Because they are not only an image bearer of God, which we honor all image bearers of God too, but they are bought by the blood of Christ. J.I. Packer in his book, um, Knowing God, he has this, this part, um, it's in a chapter that talks about us being adopted children of God. And he said, if you ever want to know how well someone knows Christianity, ask them what they think about being a child of God. And I would say, if you ever want to know what people think about being part of the body of Christ, ask them what they think about being amongst a whole bunch of children of God. Amazing people purchased by the blood of Jesus. We don't honor each other because we're so amazing. We honor people because we are in Christ. And your value is assigned because you are in Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about the different functions of the body, he goes through this. He says, even someone who's, who appears to have a function that's not very important, we assign even more honor to them. God has joined us together, knitted us together in the body. Christ assigns value to you as a member in the body, and therefore, you and I must, must assign that same value and honor one another. And we go to, then we see this, this word outdo. We're not just to honor one another, show honor, but outdo one another in showing honor. What kind of culture would be established if it was like a competition to see who could outdo others? In the grace of God, right? It's not, not, not getting sinful or anything like that, but outdoing one another in showing honor. Philippians 2.3 says that we are to count others more significant than ourselves. So, love one another with tenderly, tender brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And don't do this half-heartedly. Verse 11 tells us, don't, don't go halfway. Don't do this half-heartedly. We're to do this with zeal with passion, with great energy. Look at the first part of verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. 
be fervent in spirit. And I think those two phrases go together. I think it's contrasting. Okay, don't be slothful in zeal. Don't lack behind. Don't lose steam in your zeal in this sincere, undisguised, brotherly affection and in showing honor. And this is contrasted with be fervent in spirit. Now, there's been a dispute, at least in some commentaries that I read, as to whether this is talking about the human spirit, be fervent in your human spirit, or whether this is talking about the Holy Spirit. Spirit. (laughs) Amen. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the following about this phrase. Well, I didn't, this, he said something like this. Is this speaking of the human spirit or the Holy Spirit? And then he said this, I don't hesitate for a moment to say the latter. Amen. And then he contrasts our, our natural weakness and our natural tendency to be slothful in zeal, to be lazy, with the Holy Spirit's power to make us fervent. To be fervent literally means to boil over or to be on fire or to be aglow. We are to be boiling over on fire, I think, with the Holy Spirit in this love for one another. And when you think about, I mean, just when you think about the kind of love that we're called to, we can't do that in our own strength. We desperately need the Holy Spirit's help. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Excuse me. For God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So we are to love with the zeal and fire of the Spirit of God. Great zeal. Great fire. Great energy. And then we're to, we're to love one another as unto the Lord. We're to do it as service to Christ. Serve the Lord in service of Christ. It's ultimately for him. It's ultimately through him. It's with his help. It's with the strength of his spirit. I hope you see that this is a miraculous sort of way to live amongst each other. And we, you read through the book of Acts, I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Acts, and you say, my goodness, all the miracles taking place. I mean, like a guy being raised from the dead, and this, this guy who's been lame, and Peter just says, get up and walk, and he walks like that. It's amazing. Almost on every other page, there's miracles and wonders for God to work this kind of love into our hearts is a greater miracle. It is a greater miracle than for a lame man to get up and walk. And may he do it. May he do it. Jonathan Edwards, again, in his sermon, Heaven is a World of Love, he says this, By living in love in this world, you may, on earth, have the foretastes of heavenly pleasures and delights. And I think, honestly, 
the church, a local body, a, a church, people doing life together, it is, it's to be this foretaste of heaven. It's to be this, the, it's not the whole thing. I mean, no way. It's not the whole thing, right? We don't get our best life now. But in Christ, we can experience the love and the joy and the peace and the hope and all of this together in the context of a church and give us that foretaste of this future glory in heaven. That's what our experience can be here. And I don't know if you feel this way too, but I realize my desperate need for the Spirit's help. Like my brother who said, pray for me. I want to love better. I say the same thing. I want to love better. I want to love my brothers and sisters with greater fervency. When it, when it says, do not, um, uh, how does it phrase it? Don't be slothful in zeal. The idea is don't run out of steam. Ever run out of steam? <laughs> we kind of, right, we get energized by an inspirational talk or something, and we run, 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 and then we run out of steam, and then we crash. The Spirit can give us the strength to endure and to keep going and to keep going. And it's not a sprint, right? It's a marathon. And the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth, it's fruit. It grows progressively, sometimes slowly, but always growing. It's a work of God's Spirit. We need to seek the Spirit's mighty help to give us a heart of tender, affectionate love for one another. And how would the Holy Spirit, if, if, if he would grant us this prayer request, which he will, how would he fill our hearts with this love? He could do it however he wants, right? He could just kind of plop it into our hearts by an immediate, glorious download or infilling. And we should pray that he would. But more often, it is like fruit that grows on a tree that needs sunlight and rain and nutrients from the soil to grow healthy and strong. And, 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 and how would he do that? He would point us, and the Holy Spirit loves to do this, he would point us to Christ and the gospel. You see, it's when the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is driven deeper into our hearts, from our heads down into our hearts, that, that these fruits are born in our lives, or grow in our lives, I should say. It was Martin Luther who said, he, he said, I preach the gospel continually. I beat it into their heads. And his idea was he wants to beat it into their heads until it kind of makes its way down into the heart. The Holy Spirit wants to expose us more and more to the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus, on the night before his betrayal, he was washing his disciples' feet. And um, 
he gave him a new command. And the new command was this, a new commandment I give you. This is John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. You see those words one another again. That you love one another just as I have loved you. What's so new about that command, right? We've always been called to love people. It's that phrase, just as I have loved you. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love one another just as I have loved you. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and thanks for your word. It's your word that sanctifies. Your word is truth. Father, I pray that you would take the truth of this passage, the truth of your word, and the power of your Holy Spirit and make these things alive in us. Love one another with tender effect. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, devotion, deep devotion. Outdo one another in showing honor. Show, give preference to one another in honor. Father, I pray that your spirit would come upon us. Just pray with me, would you please? We want to love better. Jesus, you said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. It's not by this they will know you're my disciples if you have all the right answers to all the Bible questions or if you have all of your theology nice and tidy and all figured out. Father, help us to love. Thank you, Father, for your great kindness. We, we, we pray these things. We ask your spirit to come upon us and to flood our hearts again and again and again to grow this love in us. But we pray in faith and confidence that you will because this is your will. This is your good pleasure that we would grow up grow up in Christ and become more and more like our older brother. We praise you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Romans 15, 13, this is God's blessing over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.